Hi, and welcome to a new season and a new episode of the Involds Company podcast. You are listening to season two. And if you don't know me, my name is Christina Gonzalez-Sander. Each Tuesday, I host no BS conversations with women of color about the intersections of race, identity, and our cultural upbringings with, well, everything else. And so we are ultimately a lifestyle podcast made and created for women of color to talk about everything from self-development, well-being, finances, spirituality, and entrepreneurship. You name it, we're probably going to talk about it. And I just want to welcome you to a new season and new conversations that I'm super freaking excited to share with you. I am so in awe of all of the amazing women of color that I've been able to meet over the past couple of months because of this podcast, because of our newsletter, because of the community. And I just want to say I appreciate all so, so, so much for listening to season one, being here for season two. And so no matter how you found us, whether you're an old friend or a new one, I appreciate you. I'm happy to have you here. And I can't wait to hear from you. And so I cannot wait to have you listen to this one. It is intentionally the first episode of the season because it is all about boundaries. As you know, if you follow us on the gram, we've been talking a lot about boundaries and self-care and taking care all throughout this year because I think it's really the number one topic on people's minds these days. And our first guest of the season is Dr. Kiona from How Not to Travel Like a Basic Bitch. If you don't know Kiona, she is an educator. She is one of the realest humans on the internet. And she travels the world uplifting marginalized voices and encourages people to travel the world mindfully. I know for me, I have learned so much since being connected with her over the past couple of years. And on this episode, like I said, we're going to talk about boundaries. We're going to talk about the internet and we're going to talk about growth. What does it mean to learn and grow and give people the space to learn, grow and change without canceling them? I think that's something that's super important. I think a lot of people have a lot of anxiety thanks to the internet, even though we do love it. I mean, I met Kiona on the internet, so it's going to be a good one. But of course, we're also going to talk about Kiona growing up as an Asian American in Hawaii and also how she continues to support Asian American Pacific Islanders in her work. So just want to say thank you again. I love y'all. And if you like this episode and you want to have more conversations like this and keep this podcast going, would love you forever if you left a review on iTunes, shared this with a friend, posted it somewhere, tag me. I appreciate you and I'll see you on the other side. When I'm home, I don't really do anything. I like get everything delivered, but like I've been traveling a lot this summer. Mm -hmm. I'm not home. So I was like, I don't know what the scene is. Also, like we live here. So like I, I grocery shop. I don't Same. go out to restaurants and shit, right? I don't do anything if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, me either. So I was like, she was like, so what's the dating scene like? I was like, girl, I don't date domestic. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't date people here. Are you serious? Yeah. I was like, uh, 
who does that? I don't date domestic. My husband's yeah, from South Africa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the one person I found at Barbarella's. He wasn't even from here. Yeah. So, you so, think- so that's what I told her. But also, I don't know. I go, there is no one out because you're not supposed to be really. It's technically, yeah. we're still on stay-at-home orders. But oh, we are? Yeah. Are they really enforcing it? I don't really think so. No. Yeah. This one guy who's trying to date me, he's a cop. And, um, oh, he was like, all the jails are closed. So what are we going to do? Yeah. They're like, he was, yeah. He's like, we don't care about that. He was like, you'll be fine. So. Exactly. Wait, what's the best trip that you've gone on so far this summer? I really liked Idaho. I didn't think what? Idaho. You yeah, went to Idaho? I yeah. I didn't think Idaho was going to be so nice, but it was. Really? Just like, like full of like hot springs. Oh, shit. Have you posted about that yet? No. <laughs> I've been on 11 flights, okay? What, 12? 12 flights. And like, I'm fine. I've taken two COVID tests. Yeah. But I'm like, if I post all of that, like, it's just going to be a shit show online. People are just going to go after? Go after Yeah. You? Even though, like, I take breaks in between. So, like, mm-hmm. after one, I'll, like, quarantine, I guess, stay at home. Yeah. And then before I go on the next one um, and interact with, like, new people. But... Mm-hmm. People be too upset online. Oh, 100%. And I have, I have a question about that later. But because okay. I, okay, well, let's get into it a little bit. Okay, okay, okay. So I'm going to have you introduce yourself for people that might not know you. Who are you? So my name is Dr. Kiona. I am an educator, but I also like to call myself a public lecturer, a public educator, and that. All of my lessons are streamed online for free because I believe that education should be accessible and free. And if our government isn't offering it, I'll offer it. I was born and raised in Hawaii. I now live in Austin, Texas. Um, I travel the world spotlighting different cultures and uplifting marginalized voices while inspiring people to travel mindfully. My mission for the website and for the platform has always been to deliver education through travel, but in a very digestible, accessible way. So we're talking like Bill Nye meets Cardi B. <laughs> that is, I love that. Um, not to travel. And I have taken education offline into real life. And I do study abroad for adults to Cuba, which is a seven class, super packed five-day study abroad in Cuba. And 71% of our vendors are Black. They are all experts in their field, professors, and they teach their classes, but in a really fun way. And all of the experts are really young because I'm also a really young academic. And so I wanted to uplift and pay really young professors and experts in their field. And um, we 100% support private businesses. So even within Cuba, which is a socialist country, we try our best to seek out entrepreneurs and those who freelance and we contract them. I also use How Not to Travel to talk about Asian issues as an Asian person and try to advocate against our continual erasure Mm -hmm. and marginalization, including within the social justice space. And I try to highlight issues that affect Asian and Pacific Islanders on a daily basis. So that's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's amazing. And yes, that is what you do. And I know that you do other things too. And we'll we'll talk about it. I was like, if you don't know Kiona, you can check out How Not to Travel Like a Basic Bitch on Instagram, even though 
I know you don't really like Instagram. I don't really like Instagram. But yeah, it's a necessary tool. Yes, necessary tool. So, okay, I have listened to a bunch of podcasts that you've been on. And I know that you started this after you studied abroad in Spain. And like, yeah. you know, you were just traveling with your girlfriend, right? Yeah. We're just like, oh, this would be kind of funny to do. And I want to know, like, at what point did you transition from it being like, this is like a fun thing to do to start really uplifting, like marginalized communities? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, my best friend and I were traveling every month to like literally on Spirit Air, like what is anything under $100? We're going there. Yeah. Because we were broke. (laughs) And we still wanted to, you know, travel. So we started doing that every month. And we realized that they were like, quote unquote, basic bitches that we defined as basic bitches. Mm -hmm. And we were like, oh, we don't want to hang out with them. So we wanted to start a blog. Because like all the blogs online at the time are like, oh, you should go to this spot or that spot. And literally it's just like a bunch of like basic bitches who I never would ever hang out with. And so we ended up finding like different places to go to that interested us. We were also, we're all very interested in like education and learning and from local voices and expertises. And I wanted to create a blog that uplifted those voices. Mm -hmm. But in the process, I think when I hit maybe 10K followers, I was like, yo, I am 100% one of them basic bitches because I'm not passing the mic. And it would just be like me, mm. if what I, I'm going to go to Cancun. What is there to do? What do I think is cool? But like, I'm at the end of the day, a tourist. And like, I have no idea what like locals would want me to do or how they would want me to interact. So I realized that I had to take a step back and not talk about what I want, but more about like what they want. And that's when I decided to, I stopped writing for it and Mm -hmm. I started having other people write about it. So now you can go on the website and like, if you want to go to Liberia, you can check out like a Liberian PhD student, talk about what she wants you to see in Liberia and how she wants you to act in Liberia. So it turned into that. That's amazing because I remember, you know, like when did you start this? In 20... Four years ago, 2016. 2016. And you know, that was kind of like, not the hype, but there was like so many blogs of like people traveling and everyone is like wearing really cute clothes and like the wind's blowing in their hair and they take all these amazing photos. And I remember during that time, you know, I, I lived in Spain for a little bit too. I studied abroad and then I went and moved out there. And I remember I like, of course, whatever, I had a blog. And that was one thing that I hated so much was like this, kind of picture perfect viewpoint on everything. And like, I also wanted to just, I wanted to hang out with local people from where I was traveling to. And then you have created this like really amazing, accessible, real brand for yourself that helps uplift other people and educates everyone in a way where it literally feels like you're just talking to them. And that's one of my favorite things about you. Like if someone were to meet you in real life, that's like, Literally how you talk. <laughs> Literally. People don't get that. People are like, you don't understand. I got a whole email yesterday about somebody telling me that I like appropriate all these words, that I like don't talk like this in real life. They've like watched some of my interviews, whatever. I'm like, yo, if you're watching a science interview, like I'm probably not going to talk to you how I talk to my Instagram followers, mm-hmm. you know, like it's different. Got to know your medium. It's like different code switch. And then when I'm talking to my homegirls, like I talk like this. 
And so I kind of was like, you're a stranger at the end of the day. You don't know how I talk, but if you were to meet me in real life, it's exactly the same. Like exactly the same. (laughs) You are not any different online than you are in person, which is again, something that I love about you. And I mean, I know that you get, we've talked about this before too, is like, you have a lot of haters. You get a lot of trolls. Obviously you talk about it openly too, but what keeps you going? Like, how do you block that out? You have so many followers now too. So it's, I feel like it increases as your follower count increases every day. And the trolls get like more and more intense, but one, I'm petty. So I really like making people mad. (laughs) So like, I don't think that they know, but they actually fuel me. I'm like, Oh, you hate my presence. Let me post another thing. (laughs) (laughs) But I also feel like a lot of this has to do with, and maybe this is just me thinking this, but I feel like it is threatening for Asian women to show up authentically and exactly how they are without dimming themselves, which is very common. I feel like with mm-hmm. even when I talk to like my Asian friends, like when we're around each other, it's like they don't dim themselves at all. But in public, they're expected to behave a certain way or people will question how they speak or how they challenge or what they do. And it decreases their chance of showing up in an authentic way because they know they have, there's the, all these societal expectations of how they're supposed to show up. And even my mom will be like, maybe you shouldn't wear red lipstick to work. Like you're drawing a lot of attention to yourself. Like maybe, you know, mm-hmm. try to blend in, try to blend in. I'm like, no, honey, <laughs> I have arrived. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is that like, you know, Asian women are quiet and they're like agreeable and that's very different than what people I think normally view. You know, I mean, I have never been very quiet. No one. Okay. None of us Asian, yeah, like, Asians are quiet. I don't know where that even comes from. I have no like, idea where it comes from. That's basically what I'm trying to say is like, yeah. I don't get why people think that Asians are quiet because I've definitely gotten that before. Like, wow, you're really loud for an Asian girl. And I'm like, what? I don't, I don't know what that yeah. means. Like, where Do did you get really. that? Yeah, for sure. So basically, I think I get a ton of trolls and haters because like, I literally show up unapologetically and authentically. And I feel like I've gotten more and more confident as the years gone on to like stand in my truth. And that people have never seen that before. And they're like, uh, why is she allowed to have all of this confidence? And why do people follow her? And why are we supporting this? And I'm like, why are you mad? It's a good question. Why are they mad? I just, I would never spend that much time berating anybody. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, me Yo, I don't have time for that. Like <laughs> I have other things to do than deal with this. Yeah, for sure. Like the amount of times like people will question like my speech patterns or what I wear or like what I'm talking about. I'm like, would you ask this to like a black woman? Because these are all woke people, right? Mm-hmm. Like woke people. I'm like, would you question like how a black woman speaks or how, what she wears or what this or what that is? You know what I mean? But I feel like they would never do it to a black woman, but they like unleash it onto me because I have a perceivingly more privilege, which I do have a lot more privilege in a lot of different ways, but in other ways I don't. And so they just unleash all of their racism that they have been holding up and like wouldn't dare to release on a black woman, but like feel perfectly fine, like releasing onto me as an Asian woman. That is the vibe that I get. I just don't understand it. I mean, you have had to create such a strong mental like 
I don't know, fortitude. Is that a weird word to use for that? But you know what I'm saying? Like to get all of that, because I'm sure your DMs blow up, your comments blow up. And I know that you authentically interact with everyone online, even despite how many comments and stuff that you have. I mean, you've literally always responded back to me. So I know you got to sift through all that shit and look and look. So what are some of your boundaries? That's a really good question. Yeah. So if anybody attacks somebody within the comment section, Mm -hmm. it's a block. People can attack me, but it's a safe space. So I don't want anybody to attack each other. I think that's weird. If you want to have productive dialogue, I'm down for that. But as soon as it gets into like the shame and blame game, I'm like, this is not a conversation. This is just bullying. Mm. And I'm not down for that. Two, like when you enter my Instagram, you're entering into my home. Like, in my culture, you introduce yourself, you say, hello, my name is, tell me about yourself. You would never go into somebody's home and be like, I don't like your couch. And I think that you should do this differently. And I don't like how you speak to me. Well, bitch, you entered into my house, you can leave at any time. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to leave, I will help you out. And so I have rules of engagement and that like, we're not going to start our relationship off on criticisms. And like, I'm also, you're also a stranger to me. I don't need to take your criticisms to heart and I don't need to listen to them. You're not entitled to my time. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and nor are you entitled to my space. And so I have rules for dialogue and how that goes down when it comes to talking to me and talking to others on my platform and questioning people's experiences and identities like are not allowed either. And those are the rules that I pretty much have for myself and my hardline boundaries. And I also have hardline boundaries on when I respond to things. So a lot of times people will be like, why haven't you posted about this? Or can you post about that? Or can you throw out my GoFundMe or whatever? I'm like, no, no, and no. Like if it's something that I can't take on every single injustice in the world and I can't take on mm-hmm. every single person's GoFundMe especially if we don't have a relationship, the first time you messaging me is like to ask for money, like a definite delete. Yeah. But with people that I have been around, I've built relationships with them. We interact, as you said, like I interact with every single person that comes through. Mm -hmm. So if I, and to the point where like, I know you kind of like, I don't know you, but I know you interacted enough. I know your ID name. I know (laughs) your, you know, I know you got a divorce last year. I know you got two kids. Like I know all that stuff because I've interacted with you over the years. Mm -hmm. Like I know you lost your job. You need a fundraiser. All right, cool. Like you part of my, my fam, my how not to travel fam. So that's another thing is like, if you're willing to invest into me, I will also invest into you. But without that relationship or connection, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. You can't just go in on someone like that, like super hot. Like, I don't like any of the things that you do. And, and you're right. I think that what you said before is like, you wouldn't just come into my house and start critiquing everything. That'd be rude, wouldn't it? And that's, one of the things about Instagram is like, if you're coming into my space, you don't actually have to be here. And so if you don't want to be here, then go to a different page. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, you know, and obviously there are probably some, I mean, there's things that you post that you're like, this is probably going to be controversial or like some yeah. people are going to have some shit to say. And I saw in an article that you were like, I have to mentally prepare for those moments. And I think that that is also just another indicator of how intentional you are with how you run the community. And like with how you interact and since like you put 
your mission first, which is to uplift other voices, other marginalized voices. Like what has been something else that you've learned to do over the time that you've had how not to travel like a basic bitch? Like what's a important lesson that you've, that you've learned over the years? That's a really good question. And I think the number one thing that I, I've learned and I've encouraged other people who manage large platforms to learn is discernment. It's really hard to talk about the topics that we talk about, present on, you know, really controversial subjects, but things that get dialogue started. And if we don't talk about them, then there's no change. There's no learning. But within that, when you start talking about controversial topics or topics that just like, I don't even want to call them controversial. They're topics with nuance. And I know the mm. internet nuance and I I know the world loves black and white, but I don't exist in a binary and neither should the world. And so when you present nuanced topics that requires a lot of discussion, a lot of background, a lot of all this, it gets very sticky. And especially from like different perspectives and like we all have holes and gaps and blind spots. So a lot of the times, like I might put something out there and learn from the comment section also and like change my mind on the topic or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. But that's always open. And I've always been open to changing my mind, learning new things, being held accountable, all of those things. Mm -hmm. However, there are people, many, 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 many people online who struggle with mental illness, who struggle with insecurity, who have trauma triggered responses, just reading my paragraph will trigger something inside of them that makes them take out all of their anger that they feel towards someone else or a subject onto me. Mm -hmm. And it is disguised as accountability, but it's not accountability. It's just you having a trauma-triggered response and you not being able to let that go and you needing to handle your healing outside of the internet and definitely outside of me. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a process discerning like actual accountability. Like, am I hurting somebody? Am I erasing somebody? Am I presenting information that isn't complete? Right. And then also managing people who are unstable and whether or not that's true accountability or them taking out their unhealed trauma on my page. Mm, okay. So that's been huge for me to learn. And now it's actually really easy for me to spot that I'm like, okay, this person is like, especially with COVID-19, like the comment section has, is like more volatile than ever because I feel like people are sitting at home, you know, with their depression, their anxiety, all of these things, which is all exacerbated through the current circumstances. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stay at home orders, losing your job, losing family members, death, all of those things. And it pops up in the comment section. I can recognize it pretty much right away where I'm like, okay, this person is dealing with a lot and I'm sorry for them, but they cannot interact in this way. And I hope that they do that somewhere else. Yeah. But that is a good piece of advice though. Discernment is something that you've learned because I think you have to. And again, another thing that I've always really admired because I have a problem with this is like, I'm always nervous to make a mistake. And I, that's what stopped me from doing in bold company for such a long time was because honestly, I'm scared of criticism. I'm scared of people being like, you fucked this up. And I would be like, Oh shit, I'm so sorry. Like I didn't mean, you know, but you kind of have to get over that if you're going to do anything, right? If you're going to take up the space that you need to take up, if you're going to tell stories, if you're going to learn even, in no capacity has anyone ever not made a mistake before. And those are always uh, moments of learning, right? So that you can be better for the next time. And, 
you know, part of what I think the main point of conversation is these days is like this idea that like, it's okay to fuck up as long as you are intentionally trying to learn and be a better person and support your community. Yeah. But my issue with online is like things happen so fast. They're like, like, you know, do better, do better. Are you willing to give people time to do better? Yes. To give people time to learn because people like demand an apology, demand this. And I'm like, no, because that's not authentic. Mm -hmm. If I was to apologize tomorrow, sure, I would, I would mean it, but it doesn't mean that I learned anything. Mm -hmm. You're right. You know, and like a lot of the times it's like, well, not only do I want to apologize, I want to make it better and I want to find a solution so this doesn't happen again. And that takes time. Mm -hmm. And people aren't forgiving or willing to give the time. They want like an immediate satisfaction. And I'm like, that's not how accountability works. And that's not how doing social projects like this, like community projects, like take time, collaboration. It's not just your time. It's other people's time, money, like people willing to educate you, things like that, where it's like, you can't just like, to give you an example, Mm -hmm. um, I misgendered someone once. Actually, I misgender people quite frequently. And it's something that I need to do better about. And I know that. But the first time I had come into it, I had misgendered this person and they called me out, like did a whole video about me. Oh my gosh said I was transphobic. They asked, you know, for money for it, all of these things. And then they immediately demanded an apology. And I was genuinely sorry, but I wasn't like, they were really mean about it. And I was like, I get, I hurt you. And I'm sorry about that. And thank you for letting me know. And I actually went on a whole research field, (laughs) a research field day on like, gender pronouns, what those are, when did they come up? Because this was like three years ago. So I had no idea what even Mm -hmm. were pronouns really. I didn't know what they that was. I didn't know what the trans flag was. Like all of these things I didn't know about. And I educated myself after (laughs) they canceled me. And then I enrolled myself into a gender like a practice class. Mm -hmm. So like practicing with one of my friends who's transgender on like using they them pronouns, which was difficult for me because I was like struggling with the grammatical complications of they them. Yeah. And so practice to to integrate that into how you speak. If you've been speaking for a certain way for a really long time, you know, you can't just turn a light switch on and learn that stuff overnight. Yes, exactly. And but like again, like it took time for me to educate myself. It took time for me to pay a transgender person to like practice with me. Um, It took time for me to like even set up that class. And so, and that's something that I have like, am trying to like continuously work on it. And it's, that's another thing. It's like, not just a one-time thing. It's like a forever thing. Like now that I'm conscious Mm -hmm. about this thing, I'm going to forever have to practice and, and need to incorporate that into like my everyday practice. So I was like, yes, I can do this, but also like this took time for me to like really correctly address and I didn't feel like I was given the time and I understand hurt and I understand anger, but also like, when do we not have empathy for other people to the point where like you jump from like accidentally unintentionally misgendering someone to like, I hate you. And I like am intolerant of you. Like those are two different things. Mm-hmm. Well, you would never do that in a friendship. Right. And I think that's kind of how people should look at these things is if I'm going to bring a problem to you or like to anybody, especially someone that I love, if you really want them to do better, you don't just start like 
throwing hate at them super hard because that, first of all, that doesn't really make people want to be better. It kind of like triggers them to be like, fuck this, like what? And you have to give people the time to learn if you really want it to be something that's sustainable, right? Not like quick fix. It's like, if you look at brands now, right, that are getting called out, you don't want them to just post up an Instagram post that says, oops, I'm sorry that we did that. You're right. Like, we need to do better. It's like, you don't want their fake shit. (laughs) Yeah. Like a statement is just a statement, but like, what are you doing about Mm -hmm. it? You know, you want like action. Yeah, exactly. So like, like even with this, like from that one call out, which like also could have just been like an email or a comment or whatever, but it turned into this like huge thing. Like like, a campaign. A whole campaign against me that was actually really, really hurtful because I never would want to or intentionally do that. But I understand like intention is different than impact. But like since then, like I've organized an entire like LGBTQ plus trip to Cuba where all trans people were sponsored. And they're like doing a drag people show, the first ever in Cuba for Pride 2021. Oh my gosh, amazing. Yeah. And so it just takes time to like collaborate with the drag queens, you know, have meetings, talk about pronouns. How are we going to interact with each other? Especially like in Spanish, it's very like gendered language and like English is not. How is that going to work out? These are all meetings that I have now because of that moment, Mm -hmm. you know, and like trying to do better. But like, you know how long it takes to have like government meetings with Cuba, drag queen meetings with on Cuba side, as well as American side, mm-hmm. like hiring somebody to host, getting sponsorships, all those things take time, fucking so much time, time, effort, effort. <laughs> contact, networking, like all this stuff. And I'm like, and that person that called me out isn't even checking on me today, right? They're not even checking on my growth. They're not checking on what I learned. They've never reached out to you ever again? No, I'm blocked. Damn. But that's what I'm saying. I'm like, are people actually using Instagram for like true accountability where you see somebody through their growth? Or are you just using it to unload all your trauma and get upset and then leave and not even like see the damage that you left behind or the production that you left behind mm-hmm. and what, what happens? It's like and a so, toxic relationship. I hate that. That's like the thing that I hate the most right now on, on Instagram is that like people don't give people space or time to improve, but are so quick to call you out. Mm-hmm. So discernment on whether you hear from my growth or you only here to take me down. Everyone take a pause and think about that for a hot second. <laughs> no, I think it's great. I mean, honestly, you've done so many podcasts and interviews on like travel and that is amazing. So I know people can go find that information and I will happily link in the show notes, like other interviews that talk about that stuff. But part of why I wanted to have you on was to talk about all these other things that actually happen within your business and the way that you have how not to travel like a basic bitch that I feel like maybe you don't necessarily address all that often, but are still really intertwined with like who you are and where you come from, you know? And so like, obviously, when you're little, you don't think, you know, one day I really want to have an Instagram like platform and educate people on travel, right? Like, what were you like growing up? Like, have you always been like, outspoken and like interested in education? So it's funny you say that because my one of my friends from high school left a comment yesterday or two days ago was like, 
yo, I feel like no matter how many followers you have, you never change. Like you're still the same person. Like when she met me when I was 14 in high school, because I just literally don't care. I don't know. But I would say like, again, if you ask my mom, like she would take me to the library all the time. And I ended up reading all of the children's shelves. So like there was like no more books left in the library for me to read as a kid. And like I would be in church like doing like workbooks. And so I was like run out of workbooks to do that. we were, And we were really, really poor. And she was like, I can't keep up with this child. <laughs> <laughs> so education has always, I've always been interested in learning. Mm-hmm. But I also have, and also I want to like shout out to my mom because she's always empowered me to like be outspoken. I think she wanted me to be everything that she was scared to be. Mm. and because like her generation when she came from korea like she was like assimilating right and she had to like and she already stood out you know in school she was like the only asian person and like we were again like very poor so like you know our clothes aren't the nicest or and she already looked different and so when she had me i think she was like empowered me to like be able to take that on Mm -hmm. and i guess it was successful (laughs) because i literally don't ever care like i definitely care about what people think who I respect. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I respect your opinion. Like, what do you think about this? But like people who don't pay my bills, like I'm not in a relationship with them, whether it be romantic or non-romantic, like I'm just going to show up how I want because at the end of the day, like I have to live my life. You have to live your life. And like, it's cool that you have an opinion, but at the end of the day, like, do I care? And like, why would I care about a stranger's opinion? Mm -hmm. Because I don't offer mine on your life. Right. No, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like what you said about how your mom maybe like empowered you to always be like yourself and have your, you know, have a, a voice and use it in that way because she didn't have that coming to the yeah. United States. Because did she immigrate to Hawaii first? Is that where she first she came, came? She immigrated to Chicago first. Oh. And then she's a veteran. So she was placed in Hawaii by military. Oh, okay. So that's why you grew up in Hawaii. That's where I was born. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And how long did you live in Hawaii for? 10 years. And then we moved to Texas. Okay. Did she get relocated to base? Is that why? No, she ended her military tenure and then she was a university professor at the University of Hawaii. And then my dad lost his job. So we had to relocate Mm. because Hawaii is really hard to survive on a one person income. Yeah, it's expensive. Super expensive. expensive. I remember I went for a family friend's wedding um, with my mom back in like 20, I don't know, I was turning 16, like 2008. I don't know. Can't do math. But I remember we went and like the first thing that I noticed was that like a Burger King burger was $10. I was like, holy shit. It's outrageous. I just remember being like, what? How does that even work? But do you feel like your upbringing and like your childhood and where your family comes from has influenced a lot of who you are today, like, where do you feel like those two things kind of intersect? A hundred percent. Growing up in Hawaii is like really, really cemented like who I am as a person. So like growing up there where everyone's brown, everyone has some, not everyone, but most people have like some sort of Asian mix Mm -hmm. and growing up with people who looked like me and were also brown. And like, it was cool that you're brown or 
very accepted. Like the Tanner you are is like, oh, you've been going to the beach, you've been going surfing, you've been, you enjoy your life outdoors. Mm-hmm. And so I've never, which is something I feel like a lot of Asians struggle with on mainland USA is that like, they're like always like wanting to be lighter or white or whatever. And I'm like, I never had that experience. And I'm definitely not ashamed of like my skin color or whether mm. or not I'm Asian. I've never, I've always been like super proud to be Asian. I've always grown up in a culture that like, ate Asian foods and like embrace Asian culture and embrace Asian holidays and all these things. So it's not, I was confused moving to mainland because I was like, what's wrong with y'all? It's so different. Yeah. So I never had those insecurities that I know like a lot of Asian people do, especially if they're adopted into white families. Like I'm like, I don't relate. Mm -hmm. And also in Hawaii, you are so ingrained in Hawaiian culture. So like you really, really learn how to respect the earth, respect your elders, respect community over individualism. And that did not exist on mainland. So I was like, you know, like before you enter the water or before you pick a flower or before, I don't know, like literally anything, you like ask permission. And you also want to be cognizant of like, if you're going to take, then you also need to give back. Mm. So that's a big thing in Hawaiian culture is like, okay, if you are picking a coconut, are you going to replant the seed? And that's something like I grew up doing, you know, my dad and I would go for road trips, we would eat from the land and then plant. And then coming here, that's just not a thing. And then there's so many rules around like land, like you can't forage, you can't pick like fruits off of people's trees. I'm like, oh, in Hawaii, like you just go outside and there's like a lychee tree and that's your snack. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so it's just been really different to like have all these rules and like, you can't do this. You can't do that. When like literally we're supposed to be a community and we should all exist together and take care of the land and each other together. And that's something that I've brought to like the how not to travel community. I feel like a hundred percent we take care of each other and like whatever we give, but like I also like take, so whatever I'm taking, I'm giving back usually. Mm -hmm. So that was, it was all like Hawaiian I got a shout out to all the indigenous Kanaka out there who like that has always been my like train of thought because that's what I grew up in. That's so beautiful. Like I love that concept of, and it makes me sad when I think about how that isn't necessarily, that's like not a thing on mainland. It's just not, you know? And I think I have seen though that lots of people, younger people, are kind of moving toward that mentality, right? There's been a lot of talk about being about community versus individualism because it's true that when you uplift the people around you, like everyone's getting better, you know, like everyone's uplifted. And I don't know the answer to this. I don't know if you do, but I'm just wondering like, well, actually, no, I do know what the answer is. I was going to say like, where did that idea come from? Because like, that's how it is in Filipino culture too. You know what I mean? Like it's, all about family. It's all about like the community, the people around you. Like if one person needs help, like you're helping them, right? That's very part of our culture. And I already know the answer is like capitalism and white supremacy. So I already answered it. (laughs) I was like, wait, what? Because that's kind of, you know, not the same as how you grew up, but similar in ideology of, of like, you know, you support the people closest to you and it's just not the same for a lot of other people, you know, but I've been loving the trend of seeing people talk about this a lot more about valuing community over individualism, because I don't think that, well, I know that you can't get anywhere without community. 
No. And, and it's so built into Asian culture, I feel like. And I was just reading something this morning about how like, there are these kids like dribbling balls in China and they like were dribbling so well and they like had a circle and they would like go to the next ball and keep dribbling and go to the next ball and keep dribbling. <laughs> and it was super cute. And then all of the comments under the tweet were like, is this what China teaches? These look like drones. These look like robots. These look like whatever. And I'm like, one, would you say that about white children? And then like, they're just dribbling basketball. <laughs> and then like, two, there was another tweet that was like, from a Chinese person, like in China, we have 1.8 billion people. We understand what cooperation looks like, clearly what you don't have in the West. Mm. And I was like, true, because they were like, in our culture, we understand like how cooperation helps the whole and how individualism takes down all of our collective community. And I was like, literally, that's how I feel like I've I've been raised my whole life. And something that like my grandmother promotes, like my mom promotes is like, you, you take care of your entire community. Like, and when I say entire, like my mom gives like Christmas gifts to like the people at 7-Eleven that she sees every morning where she gets her like coffee and That's gas. So cute. She would give like Christmas gifts to like my bus driver who would always like take off on everybody except for me when I was late because my mom would give her gifts. (laughs) But that's just how she is. Like she is like, oh, like this person drives my child to school every day. Like I'm going to buy them a gift. Mm -hmm. And so it's literally like a communal effort. And she's always encouraged that into me. And it's always how I've grown up. And I feel like it's very embedded into Asian culture and to the point where like when I'm in like dinners with Asian people, there's like literally a piece of food left on every single plate because like, no one wants to take the last piece. No one like, oh, no, ever wants to take the last piece of anything. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, you have it. Oh, no, you have it. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's all about the collective, which I feel like is missing. Like we're not about organization or community or collective nature of things, which is kind of what we're seeing now is like a little bit of a collective movement, but it's not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it will be for a little bit. But I think it it only works when you are not only for yourselves or for your own identity, you have to be for another identity mm-hmm. and be in solidarity, which definitely doesn't happen in the reverse towards Asians. All right. All birds. Y'all, I have to tell you about them because not only do they make the world's most comfortable shoes using natural materials, they care about their community. And that is so refreshing. Recently, they asked me to join their global community of changemakers called the All Good Collective, and I'm so proud to be a part of it. I am part of this group with a couple of other people you might recognize, like Leah Thomas, who's the founder of Intersectional Environmentalist, Lisa, who's the founder of the sustainable fashion brand Me and Studios, and so many other amazing people that are doing really awesome things in their communities. Part of Albert's focus this year has been to empower their own members by elevating our voices, our work, and our stories. They really are on a mission to do things right. And if you'd like to check out the work of the other All Good Collective members, visit community allbirds.com for upcoming events online and in real life. You can also follow them on social media at Allbirds. But I'm going to give you a chance to seriously try out a pair of Allbirds with our monthly giveaway. So make sure you stick around until the end of the episode to find out how you can win a pair of Allbirds and see for yourself how freaking amazing they are and know that I'm truly genuinely a fan. 
All right, back to the episode. Why do you think that is? Like, what can you talk a little bit more about that? I think that model minority myth has been beaten into everybody's head, even though like myth has been disproven over and over and over again. Asians are invisible in society. They aren't on any news headline. Um, You won't hear about their murders. There's no hashtag. There's nothing. And so I think that not only are we erased, intentionally erased in the media, but it also does something to the subconscious where people subconsciously erase Asian people and we don't exist to them. Like it's just a binary of black and white. And then when it comes to like standing up for Asian people, it is accepted in society to be selectively racist towards Asian people, even amongst other POC, Mm -hmm. where they're like, oh, I'm not going to stand for Asians because, you know, that one time an Asian person was racist towards me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, without even acknowledging that like all your clothes, your computer, your phone, all this shit was made by Asian people, Asian slaves, most likely every single software that you use on your computer, all Asians. People that service you are in the service community, whether it be like janitors, sewage workers, nail salon workers, whatever. Like, you don't recognize that they're Asian, but there's, we're only 5% of the population, but like you can see that they are working these jobs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are undocumented. So they pick up jobs that have no security. But that's like not a conversation that people want to have because it doesn't fit their worldview of like Asians being white adjacent and Asians being privileged and all rich. So yeah, I was like, you know, that's the problem for Asian Americans is like, people will view all Asians as rich and successful. And that's not the case at all. Like Asian encompasses many, 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 many different cultures. It's like unreal how many cultures get lumped into this idea of Asian and it is invisible, right? It's like, I've always said this is growing up, like Asian is acceptable in like white culture, but the second that you do something to piss somebody off, someone's down to fucking just call you out on your Asianness and tell you that you're, you know, whatever word they want to use and tell you that you don't belong or what have you, right? And it's like almost shocking because I think if this has ever happened to you, which this has happened to me many times, is like you don't feel necessarily like you belong, but you feel okay until something happens when you're like, whoa, I don't belong here. And you just made it very fucking apparent to my face that I don't. Yeah. I don't know. It's just um, I wish that the world wasn't like that, but it's also shaped by media, right? Like the, the idea that those stories aren't told ever, like what all the Asians in the world had like a total like breakdown because they were so excited to see um, the main characters and like to all the boys I've, I've ever loved before be like the main like girl that gets the hot guy. You know what I mean? Like it was like yeah. mind blowing to everyone to see something like that. Because it stuff just doesn't happen. Yeah, for sure. Like how important it was for Crazy Rich Asians to be made. Because yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize I had never seen a movie with an all-Asian cast. I had never, ever. That wasn't talking about like, okay, like the Joy Luck Club. That's like probably the only other thing. It which is was literally the only one. I've done the research but on it. Like, <laughs> oh, 
Exactly. And then, but this is like not anything to do about being Asian. It's just like a love story, which I love. Same. And I'm like, why hasn't, I didn't know I, how badly I needed it until I saw it. Oh, same. I and cried. Then, <laughs> oh, me too. And then I was like, honestly, this pisses me off because like Asians are fed media that is either white or black. And then we get ostracized for being caught in that binary. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yo, like, how do you want us to show up? Like, we don't even have any representation. So you, you're like being oppressive by not letting me show up authentically to me because you've never seen it before. But this is like my everyday lived experience. And um, I also wanted to share this quote from this Asian philosopher. He said, here's a nastily inconvenient thing I've observed over the last few years. When white people's anti-racism is trauma bonded with black and dark skinned people and based in survival responses such as fawning, their underlying frustrations from the self-collapse is often unconsciously displaced onto Asians as people who don't have to be treated with the same self-introspection of program bias or regard for the other's racial culture experiences. For example, Asians become a default pressure valve. White people can let off steam and not have to do so much vigilant checking of themselves. Mm. And that's how I feel like Asians in the workplace are is like, oh, you can't be racist to these other identities, but we could totally be racist towards these Asian people. And honestly, like proximity to whiteness is violence to me, which is why I don't really work in white spaces at all anymore is because it was so violent to my existence that I was like, I don't want to work with white people or put um, their future into my hands. I don't even care for them to be my clients. I just don't want to. Of course, now, like, I work with white people who are cool and woke and awesome. But that's because I get to choose who I get to put myself in. So often, Asian people, like, work in corporate and then are just beaten down. But you would never see it because it's not in, like, the obvious (laughs) ways. Yeah. It's not in the obvious ways. It's all in, like, the subtle mistreatment. Mm -hmm. And then in the nuanced ways that, again, people don't really talk about. I mean, I think that it's such a complicated situation because it's also partially like a cultural, it's a cultural thing too, coming from the Asian side, right? It's like this idea of like being really perfect. I've heard that a lot, like doing like so good, you know what I mean? Like so much that you're like giving 110%. And I know when you're saying this idea of being white adjacent is violence, I don't know why, but this reminded me I was listening to something where someone was Asian and they were saying how their like family was really wanting them to marry a white person because that like symbolized success you know like she's gonna marry like a a white guy and I don't know why this like kind of connected me to this because I know you're half right your dad's from Korea Mm -hmm. and your mom is Korean Mm -hmm. and there has always been this idea in Asian culture as well that like being white adjacent is good. Like for older generations, like that's kind of what they also saw as success. So it's like this weird cycle that I think our generation of Asian Americans is trying to break that mold and the idea of what success looks like in comparison to whiteness and how Asians can really just step into the fact that they're Asian and just be yeah. Asian. So I think what you're referring to is something a lot more complicated than we think because like 
if we talk about the military complex in Asia and American imperialism in Asia, British imperialism in Asia, you're talking about like the glorification of whiteness through war that then transferred onto America. And also these are all people who offered Asian women, you know, freedom from war that they freaking started. And then they come to America and they see that Amer- you know, white people are at, on a hierarchy. And so why would you choose not to be at the top of the hierarchy? So especially when you're already beaten down, people don't understand you. They don't like think that you speak English, like all of these things. Or like you're literally bought by white people um, because China and Korea have been like the number one uh, most adopted country where the most adopted children have come from. And so all of these Asians are growing up like, you know, tens of thousands of Asians are growing up in white families and like, and, and then those people go on to like interact with other POC and they grew up like entirely white, but are Asian and no one stops to question like, why are there so many adopted Asians in the world, in the United States? And it's like literally because they were all bought in their home countries by white people, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And instead they like blame them like, oh, like you're just like want to be white or whatever. I'm like, how do you not like hold space for what happened in our countries and why we're even in this country. But I guess that also has to do with like ignorance and how the public school system like further never discusses Asian people. But also I feel like a lot of Asians don't date white. Like I don't, your husband isn't That's white. True. My old There's hella white, Asians. Though. Yeah. That's oh. all. <laughs> Sorry. I was like, I'm whispering then, that because he's at home. I'm just joking. <laughs> well, all my girlfriends like don't date white. So I don't know because it's not really in my circle mm-hmm, in of your like, sphere. Yeah, like we're not dating white men, so I don't or white people. Okay. Well, that's I'm glad that you said something because I feel like mine's on the opposite like it's different. And I think it's because of well, it's always because of where you grew up, right? It's like if you grow mm-hmm. up in predominantly white neighborhoods, chances are as an Asian person, you're probably going to date someone that's white unless you move into an area where there's like more diversity, right? But it's all based off of like environment, experience, where you live, who you hang out with. All of these things affect the way that you grow up and your experience and how you move through the world. And also I think how you can follow your curiosity, right? If it's like you've never really been around lots of by POC, it's like that might be something that you seek out. That's what it was like for me. Or you know, what have you. But anyway, so (laughs) I'm like, all of these things, there's like a million things that we could talk about, I feel like, especially when it comes to dissecting and like really thinking about Asian Americans in the United States, right? Like what our experiences are and like the wide range of different experiences, like I said before, that like happen for all of us in the ways that we're like shared, our shared experiences negative and both positive, I think, growing up here. But one thing that I definitely wanted to ask you about is like totally unrelated to all of the identity stuff, but you have like a thriving business. And as far as I'm concerned, I was like, I feel like you would probably say the same, but like, how did you get some of those resources? Because I feel like as women of color, there aren't a lot of business resources or information out there for people like us. Like if you look at how much women of color in terms of getting capital, I think of 
capital, they maybe get like 3% of any investor capital. And so for anyone that's maybe like thinking about starting a business, do you have advice for like them as you got started? Because I know you don't really do sponsorships. No. And you have Patreon, which has a lot of people that like essentially give you money every single month to help support your business to keep it going so that you can also pay all these people out. Because I know you also try to give people money for the work that they give and put back into your community, which is also amazing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, do you have any advice on that? So I have one, my first piece of advice is always have multiple streams of income. And I, that was me since I was like 14. So child labor laws, but you know, Uh, I was selling my, I started off like selling my lunch because my mom said she wouldn't get me these like old Navy bell bottoms. And I was like, fine girl, I'll get it myself. (laughs) So I, um, I would start selling my lunch. My mom figured out what I was doing, but I was making so much money that she like ended up taking me to Costco and like getting me a bunch of shit to sell. And then I, I sold enough to like buy a car What? and pay for my, like my applications to college. So I did all that on my own. But I also while I was selling candy and lunch and all this stuff in my school, I put my vending machines out of business. Like they told me I had to stop after a while. (laughs) Um, I was also working as a lifeguard at the same time during the summers Mm -hmm. and then babysitting. So I was like having three jobs from like 14 to 17. So I could go to school. And then again, like we were very poor. So my mom was also working like two jobs and, you know, it was hard for her to provide. She provided for us, but like anything extra, like wasn't going to happen. And so I just did it myself. And so at that point I had two streams of income. And then, you know, as I went into college, like trying to pay my rent, trying to like pay all these things. So then I started juggling all these different jobs and streams of income to the point where I had like five at one point, but that has since carried over. So I don't think that people should invest all of their everything into like one thing because it can drop like it can go tomorrow. Like for example, like I have a ton of businesses in tourism or two businesses in tourism and both of those stopped, mm-hmm. right? With COVID-19, like who could possibly have predicted that? But I have like two other sources of income that like okay, I'm still like can survive, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's really really important because you should always plan for emergency situations and never never only invest in one. My second piece of advice would be don't start a business with debt. And I know that's hard for a lot of people, but I didn't start off fully being an entrepreneur, like not working for the man until I paid off all my debt. So I paid off my, I think my school loan was like $36,000 and I paid it all off. And I like saved for 10 years, paid it all off in one check. And I was like, biggest check I ever wrote. But I was like, okay, now I feel like I'm not like, no loan shark is going to come after Mm -hmm. me. If whatever mistakes I make is going to be with my own money. And then, you know, I can um, deal with that. But I didn't want to have like the banks after me. Mm -hmm. And for the mess of my credit. So I would say don't start a business if you still have debt. And if you're going to go like full on 100% entrepreneur, entrepreneur um, on debt. My third piece of advice would be to talk about what you're doing. So I wouldn't have been connected to the people that I was connected with if I didn't talk about what I wanted to do or what I was currently working on. And then you never know where people like, they're like, oh, I have this connect who will like Mm. lend you a thing or, oh, hey, like we have an extra bedroom. We would love to rent it out. Can you manage it? Or 
actually, I'm an investor. I would love to invest into your project. Like, I didn't know that, you know, people don't talk about money like Mm -hmm. that. And so when I started discussing my ideas out loud, because I feel like people are scared that they're going to steal it. But most of the time people are lazy and they're not going to steal your idea. (laughs) But if they hear what you're doing, then they can like contribute in like meaningful ways. So I would say like talk about the ideas that you want to do because you never know where help is going to come from. And then I try not to have high startup costs when I start a business. So you shouldn't be investing like so much money into it. Start off small and then expand. I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs start off like with this huge big idea And I'm like, you didn't even test it. You didn't even try it. Like, for example, I had a consultation meeting yesterday with somebody who wants to do like property management and they like have 10 properties. I'm like, how do you have 10 properties and you didn't start off with one? How do you even know if it's working? And when I, when I ran her numbers yesterday, I was like, child, you were not making any profit and putting in all this work. Mm. And I was like, you need to scale back. And so I think a lot of people go in with like intention to make a lot of money, but don't test out your business model. And so I would say start small. And even though it's not fast, um, fast money is usually not good money. So like starting small or starting like testing it out to like work out all the kinks and you not lose a lot of money is really, really important. And then my last piece of advice is actually my mom's advice. And she said, any mistake that you made in business is cheaper than business school. (laughs) That's so true. I told my girl yesterday, for example, like in a year, she only made $4,000. And I was like, how are you surviving off $4,000 in a year? Oh my gosh. And I was like, or we can look at this as like, this was, you learned a lesson. You learned lots of lessons in this past year and you made $4,000 while doing it. Yeah. Reframing is important, I think. Exactly. So I was like, you learned a lot. You made $4,000. Let's move on. We're not doing that next year, though. And so next year, we're going to make more money. And I also told her, like, you need to go through your budget sheet and be like, okay, how much am I spending every month? And how much do I want to spend every month? Or how much do I want to make every month? And then base your hourly rate off of what you want, where you want Mm -hmm. to be, not what you're currently making. Yeah. So if I'm like, I want to have a $500,000 year, I'm like, okay, what is my hourly? Work backwards. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, you're like, well, I mean, I could survive off of... I'm like, no. That's how you cause stress. <laughs> That's how yeah. you create stress for yourself. No. So those would be my pieces. Of I think That's great advice. I was like, again, part of like what we want to do at Embold is like empower women of color to do these like creative entrepreneurship entrepreneurial things that they're like interested in and like see how the intersections of like where they came from can collide with those things. And I think that that's great advice for people. Even me, I was like, I love learning from everyone that I talk to. It's why I like doing this. I was like, same. I don't know. I sh- love learning. I learned so I know, much. I'm like, yeah. I don't know shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me either. Okay and, and also like surround yourself with really good friends. Like if that's a, a huge thing this year that I'm like, if you're not creating, I'm not hanging out with you. So like I have, right? Mm-hmm. Like I just, I have a ton of homegirls who I love and they go to work and then go home. And I think that's great. I will call them to like check up and have, have drinks. But like the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> love but like the people that I'm 
hanging out with, like spending time with are people who are creating. And usually like our hangout time turns into a brainstorm yes. session. We start a new business. We're like, oh, you need this contact. I got you. Let me introduce you real quick, blah, blah, blah. And so it's like literally better than going to a conference mm-hmm. because at conferences, like I do network, but like you can't get that like deep talk where you guys are like yeah. brainstorming, bouncing ideas off of each other. Like, can this work? Do you know somebody? And you're so right. It is really important to surround yourself with other people that are doing things that are similar to what you're doing, but that's the same, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to be the same thing because that's how you grow. And that's how a lot of people that have businesses do things. I mean, you know, like if you look on, on Instagram and you see those people all know each other because they're just having conversations and then they start collaborating, which is super, super important. And that's the power of community too, right? Is like collaboration and helping each other out. I remember one time, I don't know where I heard you say this, but I've never, ever forgotten. You were like, if I ever feel like I have a competitive feeling toward anybody, I reach out and ask them how we can collaborate. I've never forgotten that. I've never, ever forgotten when you said that. I don't know where, but. Yes. And I still do that. I'm like, this bitch, she out here killing the game. How can I collaborate (laughs) with her? Because I'm trying to, she's going to be my bestie because I know I have things to learn from her. And if I can like amplify her in any way, I will. But like, she's doing big things. You're like, I want to learn. Yeah. Like, and it's easy to be like, salty about it and like you could be salty for like five minutes but then like reach out and be like how can I help and how can you know I be a part of this Mm -hmm. and people have done that to me where they're like I really like what you do how can I help blah 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 and then you know it ends up into like a cool collaboration I learn about them I'm like oh this is something I could learn so I don't know I just really am a huge proponent of collaboration and not competition Mm -hmm. me too so I love that and you like, you expand your audience that way. Like I would not have built what I built without collaboration. Literally every single thing I do is like with another person. I can't do things by myself. Same. I can't. It just doesn't function. And I wouldn't want it to be like that anyway. No. Also like, it's awesome to meet with, like, I'm like, okay, I have a meeting with Christina to like write this book. It's really annoying to write this book, but it wouldn't get done if I wasn't meeting with somebody, mm-hmm. you know, like I need an yes, I was about to say that accountability is so important. I'm the yeah. same. I'm literally like anybody want to work. Anyone want to do something? I'm like, it just makes things so much easier. And I feel like it comes back threefold for you, you know, a thousand percent. I agree. Yeah. So is there any way that we can support you since we're talking about that? I was like, is there anything that you're offering right now that you want to share and like shout out. I'm like, do it. And then we'll link it in the show notes too. I'm like, you tell me what you got going on. You could follow me on how not to travel like a basic bitch on Instagram. You could subscribe to my Patreon. A lot of that money ends up going back into the community. Like I've supported so many people with Patreon dollars that I don't publicize because I don't know, it feels weird to like, People are in really hard situations right now with COVID-19. So I've been trying to like spread the wealth mm-hmm. without like dehumanizing them. So yeah, so Turns to the Patreon helps uh, me help others. And also like helps me if I'm be real. Yeah. And I just wrote a book called Tales of Horror and Happiness and Hospitality. You can find it on Amazon. And that is about how I started an Airbnb being a broke girl and how I've since expanded to like multiple countries and help other people start their businesses. 
And you can also, I have a podcast, How Not to Travel Pod. And we are coming out with our second season next month, which will be highlighting some Asian hate crime situations. And it will also be um, translated to Spanish at the end of this. Cool. Yay. That's fun. And also like my book will be translated into Spanish by December. So we've been trying to make sure that we... uh, have higher reach with our languages because kind of got to decenter English sometimes. Mm. No, that's amazing. Plus, people get access if they can't read English, which is amazing, more accessible. Exactly. Accessibility is so important, especially like for people who didn't have access before. Like, accessibility is such a forefront thing on my mind. Like, okay, who can access this? Who is not accessing this? And how can I make it more available? That's Kiona's sixth business tip. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the other one. I was like, I no, that's great. I'm in my mind. I'm like, could I translate stuff into Spanish? I was like, hmm. yes, you can. So, so th- <laughs> there's my answer. She gave it to me. Okay. And so lastly, are there any other women of color inspiring you right now that people should go and check out and learn from? Yo, always, like always. I'm so inspired by women of color for like being at the bottom of social hierarchies and still consistently showing up every single day, working double, working triple, building businesses, uplifting each other, having a whole ass relationships with partners, uplifting them, taking care of kids. They do everything. And they still look, they still look good in photos. I'm like, <laughs> how do you look this good? So I would say the person I'm really, really proud of right now is my friend Marty, Marty San Diego on IG. She just came out with a book called the the Green Book, ABC Green Book, I think it's called. We'll but basically it. it is a, yeah, I'll, I'll get you the info, but it is a book that highlights Black-owned businesses all over the world so that it's easy to support those people when you travel. And you know how much work that took? That took two years of work research all of that stuff so i'm i'm happy that like she was like i see something that is necessary therefore i'm going to fill that void with a solution and she like doesn't bitch about it she just does something about it and i love that because i hate bitching about something and whining about it without bringing solutions to the Same. table so i am really 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 proud of her for that i'm also really proud of um i have a team of people working on my chinese cuban documentary that is yes. going to come out next year because we didn't see our histories anywhere we didn't see representation anywhere and i was like okay if i'm gonna keep bitching about this i better do something about it so now i have three other asian women on the project and they inspire me every day that we meet because we just get shit done like we just got an investor we have like, it's Yay. in the can getting edited right now. We That's have amazing. like, you know, we got press on it. So like when it comes time to release, like it's going to be like a big release. And it's something we've been working on all quarantine. But they also are working on other projects outside of it. Like one of them is like a Time Magazine journalist talking about Asian hate crime and Asian social justice. Another one is working on a f- feature film about Mauna Kea and the protectors up there. And another one is an investor and she is working on empowering more Asian businesses. So I'm just so proud of what them. And I, it's such a great team. And I didn't realize how strong I would feel like being in a room full of like Asian women, like wanting to change shit for like our whole community mm-hmm. in like really, really woke ways, I guess, and in impactful ways. So I'm really, really proud of them 
So those are the walk that are inspiring me right wow. now. Shout out to all these women. I love it. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Oh, wait, actually, there's one last thing that we do. And then I'll let you get on with your day because it's Saturday. So I always pull a card here. You'll see like they look like this. They're these like Oracle cards and okay. they all just have like words on them. And it's just something that I like to like leave the conversation with. I'm doing it at the end now instead of the beginning. So we're, we're trying okay. things out. So I'm just going to shuffle right now. This is what I'm doing. If you know me, you know, I look like pretty much any woo woo thing ever, like tarot cards, <laughs> astrology, anything of that nature is like what I'm into. So you just tell me when you want me to stop and then I'm going to pull a card for you. Okay, stop. Okay. So this one is listen. I don't know if you can see it. Can you see? So in the space created by silence, the voice of the universe is heard. The alchemical bringer of transformation, making the impossible possible in teaching you how to replace striving with allowing. Trust the voice within a way you never have before. Bow over to the great mystery in the words within. Beautiful and potent upgrades will be presented. And that that's, that's yeah, I'm like, and, and that's it. So I actually got an astrology reading at the beginning of quarantine. And literally, she was like, you need to be still during this time. You need to listen to the universe. And I did not do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, quarantine, there's no work. I was like, okay, like, how are we going to raise money for our workers? How are we going to pay our employees? How this, what other products can I do? Launching all these things, assembling teams and like, yeah. I can't sit still. Yeah. It's just not possible. But I'm, you know, we're... We're sort of listening to the universe a little bit, but that's funny then that that was your card. See, this is why I love doing it. I know. I'm like, I love when people are like, <gasps> wait, what? Yeah, at me, at me, <laughs> at me universe. Thank you so much for listening all the way until the end of the episode. Are you ready to learn how you could win a pair of all birds? All right. Here are the two things you need to do right now. Take a second to leave a review for the podcast on iTunes and give us that five-star rating because you love us so much. I'll even make it easier by sharing the link in the show notes. Number two, tag in bold company and all birds on Instagram, showing us that you're listening to the podcast. Take a screenshot, post a picture, what have you, but make sure that you tag us so that I see it. And lastly, as a bonus entry, post on Instagram and tell us how you're supporting your community. That's it. But again, make sure you tag us so that I can see it because that's how you'll automatically be entered to win. There's going to be one winner per month for the pair of Allbirds. And this runs from October, 2020 until February, 2021. So get out there. We appreciate your support so much. And if you haven't already join our Thursday morning newsletter, Women of Color Weekly, where we share events, resources, inspiration, all by women of color. Leave inspired, and I promise you'll love it. As always, you can find me on Instagram at Imbold Company. Thank you so much. Until next week.